It's been 11 months since the Utah Jazz shocked the NBA world. How is it looked at now from a national perspective with Locked On NBA expert, postseason and offseason expert Howard Beck? Plus, what have we learned about how to win in the NBA? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz MD Insider. In just a moment, Howard Beck will join us to talk about 11 months later when the Jazz shocked the NBA world and back-to-back deals. How is it viewed now? Plus, what has Miami and Denver taught us about how to win in the NBA? And it's a new world NBA. Plus, five years from now, what will the power rankings of the West look like that's all coming up on today's edition of locked on jazz your daily podcast on the utah jazz giving you insight expertise geeky numbers and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day we are free and available on all podcasting apps and on youtube get the comment section going you guys are always so great at having that conversation during our show please get involved over there as well subscribe on youtube or on whatever podcasting app and get the show each and every day thanks so much for making us the first listen and a special shout out to all the everydayers who are there with us each and every day, we welcome in good friend Howard Beck to the program. We have an NBA Finals. We've been wowed by the playoffs, and we'll get into all that in a second. But let me start with the Utah Jazz. 11 months later, Howard, how do you view the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert trades, and in any way do you view them differently than you did when they happened? Uh, David, I honestly don't view them any differently because I was one who thought, this had to happen. The wrecking ball was inevitable. It was, it needed to happen sooner than later. In my view, that team had maxed out its potential. The only question was how big of a wrecking ball, how many bodies were going to be, be sent out and what you would get back. So I think if there's anything I feel differently about, or, you know, view through a slightly different lens, it's that we could not have known Lowry Markinen was going to be that good. He was all uh, on my All-NBA third team on my ballot. Um, could not have known Walker Kessler was going to be that impactful. And then along the way, because they had made those moves and sending out Mitchell and Gobert, it then set up the midseason stuff involving Conley and every, everybody else and the, 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 the multi-dimensional uh, trades that ended up getting them also a first-round pick from the Lakers. So on every count, it's as good or better than I would have uh, viewed it in real time last summer. But I was one who always thought this was the necessary move. I thought the returns at the time were very good. <laughs> like, I don't think anybody disagreed. Um, but they've aged, it's, it's aged well. The trade, the two trades have aged well in large part because of, yeah, I mean, a lot of things. But Lowry Market and Walker Kessler specifically, I think, have made those deals look even better now than they did at the time because we could not have seen the season that either of them was going to have the hall well actually i don't know which hall's bigger frankly walker kessler and four first round draft picks i was going to say it's bigger but fact that lowry marketing is basically an all-star starter and three picks and pick swaps i'm not sure which hall is bigger the hall for rudy gobert is the one i think will be talked about the most because rudy has always been such a lightning rod of conversation i have always been a very very pro rudy the mountie impacts the game how much uh, he's he just kind of on a night-in and night-out basis leads you to victories. His impact in Minnesota was far less than his impact in Utah was. 
Do you think that was changing rosters, or do you think that the game has changed on him and that Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck made this move like before the game changed where his value was at the peak and maybe that's the retrospective that makes that deal actually look so good is that the game maybe have changed on Rudy a little bit. I don't know about that part of it. I will say, by the way, though, that the Timberwolves general failure this season, and I think it's fair to call it that, and the Cavaliers getting smoked in the first round by the Knicks also kind of enhanced the Jazz's, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, their, their, their piece of this, right? Like the, the hall is what matters, not what the other teams did, but it, it, it kind of enhances the Jazz's overall image in, in the wake of those trades when the two teams that got these two stars didn't really do anything of substance with them. Now the Cavaliers are young and are going to get better. And I think they will have a very bright future. And Donovan Mitchell will do great things there. So no question there, but you asked about Gobert and, and that was, that was always the tougher fit. We always wondered from the moment that trade happened, everybody around the league was skeptical that Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns would fit that, um, and, and, you know, and then Towns was out half the season. I, I, look, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I don't think we have a fair view or a complete view yet of what Gobert might become or might mean for the Timberwolves. And I think in fairness, assuming that they don't tra trade Carl Anthony Towns over the summer, which I don't think it's necessarily likely, but I'm not ruling it out. We'll get next season to see whether that pairing actually works. I don't think that anything that's going on in the league in terms of the evolution of the game, the style of the game and where a player like Gobert fits into that, that was already happening. So I don't, I don't know that anything that's happened this past season suddenly made Gobert obsolete or less impactful. I think it's, it's all just contextual. Um, there was a very clear structure in Utah where Donovan Mitchell was the offensive engine. Rudy Gobert was the defensive backbone and everybody else in between was doing something to enhance one or the other or both. And in Minnesota, it, you know, Anthony Edwards is still kind of coming into his own. Towns is, is a difficult fit next to Gobert. They've got some young pieces who are starting to emerge. It was a choppy season. Um, I, I, like, I just, I don't know. I don't know what Gobert's ultimate impact there is yet. Um, I, I do think that of all of these teams involved, you know, specifically just those three, Utah, Cleveland, Minnesota, Utah has to be very happy with where they are given those trades. Cleveland's probably still very happy with what they did. They're, they're probably like, okay, yeah, you know what? We don't think marketing would have been that guy for us perhaps. Um, or, you know, we're sure he, he, he blew up, but we did just fine in this deal. And we've got a, we've got years to go on this. Minnesota's the the one team out of these that is going to be sitting here with potentially the buyer's remorse and three more first round draft picks to give up along yeah. the way. So that's, that's the real buyers. Let's go to Lowry marketing for a second. That most improved player of the NBA for a reason. When you, is there another step? What's your thought on what the Jazz got out of him as a seven foot one? I mean, that's the thing I got to tell you, being around him every day, he's just that big. Like it's stunning how big he is and how well he moves. It's just not that um, common for a guy. And listen, he had shown pieces of this before. So I don't want to make it sound like he had this magical transformation to a completely different player in year Seven? Is it seven? I think it's seven. Um, it's very rare for a guy to get that deep into a career and suddenly not just blossom into all-star, but borderline all-NBA, right? As, again, he was on my ballot on the third team. Um, so it, you, it's hard to know, does that, does that imply even more to come? 
does that imply a, a ceiling um, that's already reached a level that we couldn't have even have anticipated the, in the first place? Um, again, there were there were flashes of this at times, but it's one thing to be a player who sometimes looks like a star and another thing to be a player who puts together a series of games that convinces your franchise to basically say, you know what? We're riding you. You are the centerpiece now. You're not just some curiosity we picked up in this deal with a bunch of pieces, other a bunch of other pieces. And now you have the responsibility of not just putting up numbers, but of winning, of contributing to winning, and of having the the, the burden of being the the uh, score not just the scoring leader, but the face of the franchise, the leader in all other facets, and having to be the one to answer the the the, the music every night uh, from the media if 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 the team failed to be responsible for for the entire spectrum, right? That's what I'm always curious about with guys. Plenty of guys come into the league with talent that suggests they could be a centerpiece, whether they can deal with the responsibility that comes with that and be consistent in what they do um, on the court. That's, that's always the challenge, I think. And I think Markinen showed a level of maturity and ability to embrace all that, that I'm not sure people were sure was there. You know, some of the things I'd heard about him <clears throat> over the last couple of years were just, you know, you know, if he doesn't get the ball a lot, and there was no question he was going to get the ball a lot in, in, in Utah. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't feel like he's getting, if he's not starting for one, um, if he's not getting enough uh, touches or usage, you lose him a little bit. He might pout a little bit. There was there, there was some you know some personality questions and that people had skepticism based on his time in Chicago and Cleveland, and and I think like you know this season with utah he just he came through with flying colors on all counts again like just not just the performance but the ability to take on the responsibility and 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 to and to, to, to carry it very well yeah you know i'll tell you the one that jumped out at me all year was he got hot early and i, I was just utterly convinced 25 30 games in the season without a great deal of talent around him that it would start to slide a little bit right that teams would scout he's now the top of the scouting report every shooter out the opposite happened. He went and did the opposite. Like at the moment in which it seemed logical that he would start to just come down to earth a little bit, he actually went the other way. That was the part that amazed yeah. me the most in the season. Yeah. And, and I think again, that speaks to that ability to, and, and look guys mature at different times and maybe he wouldn't have been re uh, uh, ready for all of that a few years ago. So maybe the jazz got the right player at the right exact right time maybe he, this was the moment where his just his maturity in terms of not just his game but his mentality kicked in and so when he starts becoming the guy who's at the top of the scouting report and where it's like this is clearly the engine of this team and everything's going to be angled toward trying to stop Lowry Markinen, he's able to find his way through that and in a way where he's not forcing shots either where the efficiency is still there where he's not just disrupting everything just to try to get his um I like th that's when we talk about maturity about players in the NBA, especially among stars, that's what we're talking about. He's Howard Beck. He's locked on podcast networks, NBA playoff and off season expert. So what does he think the jazz should do next in the sense of like, they've had the surprising success with Lowry. Do you keep the long build or do you accelerate it? We'll touch on that. Plus we'll get into a bigger picture conversation about winning in the NBA, what we've learned from Miami and Denver and all of that as we continue with the great Howard back here on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. I'll tell you what, if you've not checked out the new Ionic 6, it's incredible. 
Word drive, the Ionic 5. As you guys heard, I had a midlife crisis, thought about trying whether I might switch the 5 for the 6. So amazing. you got to check it out. The all-electric. That's why Hyundai keeps winning award after award after award. The Ionic 5 was the sports, the SUV of the year by Motor Trend. A year ago, the Elantra was the North American car. The, the Sonata won it before that. Hyundai just keeps winning and winning and winning. And the Murdochs have been in Utah for over 80 years, giving you the no regrets experience each and every time. So if you're going to head over to Murdoch Hyundai, let's give you the locked on VIP experience for all our everydayers. Email me first at DLOCKO9. I'll set you up with the VIP meeting and give you all the ins and outs. There's nothing like it. If you go look at all the bells and whistles, all the things you get, all the safety features, all the things you'll be interested in the Hyundai as well. And then you can just make the decision yourself, but check it out. If you're in the market for a car, email me first. We'll give you the locked on VIP treatment over at Murdoch Hyundai, Logan in Woods, uh, excuse me, in Logan and in Linden, as well as 4646 South State Street. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. All sorts of great things going on as we head to the NBA Finals and the NHL Finals for you. Major League Baseball each and every day as well. And the no-sweat first bet has gotten bigger. $2,500. I Am I reading that right? I am. $2,500. That's right. Back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. So it's all at the fanduel.com slash locked on to get your no sweat first bet. That's an America's number one sports book and the official sports book of locked on $2,500 from FanDuel. Go to fanduel.com slash locked on FanDuel official sports betting partner of the NBA and the official sports book of locked on. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen today. Shout out to the everydayers. We'll look at Kobe Bufkin tomorrow on the show out of Michigan, see whether he actually should be above Case and Wallace as he's beginning to be in a bunch of draft boards. We'll also look at Keontae George before the week is over. Howard, we saw this happen with Phoenix a few years ago. Ended up Jeff Hornacek in his first year. They won a bunch of games and they fired Jeff. They end up with Earl Watson. Ends up being a disaster. Seen other teams, they push it. The Jazz now have Walker Kessler. They have Lowry Markin and Ochai Abaji. Seems nice. But they put the accelerator down with 30 to $40 million worth of cap space. So do you think you're better off kind of slow building still? Yeah, I don't think this is the moment where you hit the accelerator. Uh, you know, we're obviously less than a year removed from blowing this thing up in the first place, going from a team that was, you know, always going to win, you know, whatever, somewhere in the, the mid to high 40s, uh, maybe 50. And, okay, we're, we're, we're pulling back. We're gonna we're gonna reformat this thing. We're gonna t- try an entirely new vision here. Um, Markin and, and Kessler are are kind of like found money at this stage. Even if they even if they knew, even if Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck knew exactly what they were getting, even if they could say, ah, we knew we knew these guys are gonna be as good. You're, you're still okay. Well, you've got two foundational players and some other good players, but you're you're many many pieces away. And when you talk about trying to get back into not just playoff contention, but contention, contention, breaking into the top four or five in the West again, that's further off unless something is going to fall in their lap. Now, something could. Danny Ainge is now armed with all the assets in the world, mostly in in the form of picks, to be in the bidding for the next discontented superstar. I don't know who that's going to be, David. None of us do. We can speculate about towns it's pro- probably not probably not the move i don't know that 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 utah and minnesota are making uh, who knows they, they did the conley deal too but um probably not him um trey young probably too soon joel Embiid. Eh, let's not get crazy yet um i, I you know are, are the hawks gonna try something crazy or like are they gonna move off of like 
John Collins, is, he probably wouldn't be the right fit. Are they going to move off of DeJounte Murray? Well, maybe he could be the right fit. I don't know. Like, I'm thinking of, like, off the top of my head, who are, who are the teams with discontent surrounding them right now and who have stars or second-tier stars they might want to move off of? We don't know. We, we really don't know at this stage. And I just think that when you have – you've already bought yourself a lot of goodwill by having a, a far beyond expected uh, season in terms of just the win total – you bought yourself time when you blew it up in the first place because you're signaling to your fans. It, it's we're, we're, we're starting anew here. There's no urgency. There's no urgency, but they do have all the tools to make a quick recovery. And the fact that they had a better than expected by, I would say our, most of our expectations season means you've got that much more latitude. I think um, cap room. I don't know what cap room is anymore in the NBA cap room is, is not, what it once was uh, you, you can make trades where you're absorbing salary and, and, and taking on stuff to, to get more picks. You can do lopsided trades. You can do all kinds of stuff with the cap room, but using cap room as a means to just simply sign big time free agents doesn't happen that often anymore. And besides that Salt Lake city was not exactly a destination for most NBA stars in the first place. Right. Um, and very few teams, even in bigger markets, glamor markets have really succeeded as you know, using cap room to, to sign, marquee players so it's it's great it gives you flexibility it gives you many different paths you can choose but i don't know that cap room is the path forward for them necessarily um so i i my temp my suspicion is that they're going to play this methodically and, and opportunistically they'll wait to see what's available and be ready to pounce when it is because they have all the assets in the world to do it um in the meantime i think you just keep building Again, methodically, whether that's through using the picks that you have, um, whether it's through just some smart signings here and there, I, I, I don't, I don't think we're going to see something. I don't think we're going to see fireworks from the the Jazz front office this summer. Maybe, but I, 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 I don't suspect that'll be the case. By the way, on top of that, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I don't know that there's a big opening in the West right now, anyway. So the Nuggets are in the finals right now, and they're not going anywhere. They're going to be somewhere in the mix for the next several years. Um, the Lakers were a much better team to finish the season than they were to start the season, and now they're going to probably bring all those pieces back. So the Lakers will be, I think, back in the mix among the top four or five in the West. The Clippers, I know we always say given health, and I know they never have health, but if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy, the Clippers have a really good roster. They're going to be right back in the mix. The Warriors, I think, are going to be right back in the mix. The Kings had a breakthrough season and I don't think are going anywhere. I don't know that there's much more. I don't know how much further forward they can go with this group, um, but the Kings are solid and, and young and they're going to stay together. The Grizzlies have some weird stuff going on with John Morant, but the Grizzlies are really talented. So like it's crowded. It's crowded at the top of the West. The Suns are going to rebuild their roster around Durant and Booker now. And while they may not have a long uh, run with that group because of Durant's age and injury history and everything else, the Suns are going to be have to be reckoned with too. So there's like four or five teams right there that are, I think are going to clog up the top of the West. And I, you know, it's it's not like oh the Jazz are one move away from like getting right back in the thick of things. Um, on top of that, the Thunder are ready for a breakthrough for sure. Um, the Trailblazers look like they're going to keep Dame and, and keep trying to, to do something around him. The Pelicans, again, the ultimate if if they're healthy, right? The Pelicans are going to be around. So there's a, there's just a lot going on there. If I'm looking at that, oh, by the way, the San Antonio Spurs are going to get Victor Wimbanyama. Um, If I'm the Jazz, 
I'm not looking at, I got to press the pedal down now. I'm looking at, eh, you know what? It's going to be still pretty crowded at the top of the West, but a bunch of the teams that I just named have old, older stars and those teams are going to start to fade in the next couple of years. And so I'm looking for the next wave after that. All right. We'll talk about the next wave after that in just a second. What have we learned from Denver and Miami about winning in the NBA? What have we learned? I would start with what I would, I would be cautioning people not to say you've learned. <laughs> so, so let's just say this. I don't think that any, any year, especially this year, the teams that are in the finals are not some kind of template. It's not definitive. Um, like, for instance, it's foolish to think that because the Heat made a run from the eighth seed that everybody can do this. The Heat are like the most unusual eighth seed in the world. They were in the finals a few years ago. They underachieved the whole regular season. They got healthy at the right time. Also, they're just, you know, Jimmy Butler and those guys are just a bunch of badasses, right? Like the Dallas Mavericks were not going to do this if they had snuck into the play-in, right? The Heat could do this. So don't put any stock in the idea that this is some new thing where we have so much parity that a seventh or eighth seed is going to do this as a regular. Like, this is the first time this has happened since 1999 that an eighth seed's in the finals. So I wouldn't take too much from that. Um, so the Heat are a massive outlier. Um, Jokic is also a massive outlier. Oh, I want to make one add on this. That was a 99's the lockout year. This is the only time it's ever happened in a non-lockout year. Yeah. Although, although, that was although a, it was a 50 game lockout year. Like it was yes. a really not an NBA yep. season at all. Right. It was a weird season. Um, and while we're on that uh, subject, the Heat aren't actually an eighth seed. <laughs> they had the seventh best record right, in the East, enough. and yeah. then they lost their way down to the eighth seed. So even that part has has asterisks of some sort on it. Um, Jokic is an outlier. Jokic, you know, who was drafted 41st over. You, like, we can't say like, oh, you know what? You can just find a superstar in the second. No, draft order still matters by and large. Now, these two, these are two teams built around guys who were not top five picks. Granted, there are some top five picks in the finals. Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, a thousand years ago. Um, <clears throat> but by and large, these are teams whose who's leading characters, whose leading stars were later in the first round or second round. All these undrafted guys on the heat. None of this is a template. Like this has happened and it's and it's shown this is proof of concept. You can do it another way. Great. You can do it without a number one pick or a top three or a top five pick. Great. Phenomenal. Don't think that this was easy or that this is normal or easily replicatable. Um, th I, the, these teams are generally speaking outliers. Uh, somebody had posted earlier today on Twitter about the fact that this is the first finals probably also since maybe 99 or it's been like 20 something years. Oh, no, no. I think it was actually all the way back to 90 since there was a finals with no first team all NBA guys because Jokic, of course, was second because of, of uh, position behind Embiid. So this is highly unusual. And I don't think people should take those lessons from it. Now, what they what we can draw from this, continuity matters. The Nuggets have five years with their their core of their core with Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. They only have three years where all three of those guys played because of injuries. Um, they've had two plus years with Jeff Green uh, and Aaron Gordon, but they've had continuity. Um, the Heat have had four solid years with Jimmy and Bam and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson um, and Spolstra and Michael Malone are two of the four longest tenured coaches in the league up there with uh, pop, of course, at the top and Steve Kerr mixed in there. So continuity, patience, um, drafting well and player development, clearly important. Again, neither of these teams is led by a top five pick. Um, 
And again, I'm not counting Oladipo, not counting Kevin Love. Like I know there are some top five picks lingering, but like these are guys who are not in primary roles. Some luck as usual. Um, and they took really different paths, right? Like the Nuggets don't profile as the normal finals team because usually you're a top 10 defensive team. They were 15th in the regular season. They were fifth overall in offense. And so, and, and they've, you know, but again, even in the postseason, I looked it up, like they're even middle of the pack among the, the, the postseason teams. Um, Miami was a top 10 team in defense and really bad offensively in the regular season, 25th. Um, so again, outliers in, in one respect or another, not, not the kind of thing you see like, Oh, we'll just do it the way they did it. Eh, like there's, there's some, uh, some happenstance involved. Um, the heat getting hot at the right time. The heat got hot. That's a terrible phrase. Um, the heat, you know, getting in the, getting in healthy and in, in a rhythm at the right time, let's say. Um, and even then, even if we want to say they peaked late, they lost their play in game to the Hawks. Like, so even that part is kind of flawed. It's all just weird, David. That's the point. I do think there's two items that we can take moving forward. And we'll discuss those as we continue with Howard back here on Locked on Jazz. So the two things I think we can take moving forward, Howard, is one is... Denver's by far the best shooting team in the NBA. Um, and they have been for two seasons. And then Miami a year ago was the fifth best shooting team in the league. And they just had a terrible shooting year this year. So I actually think like, I know this sounds stupid, but like actually for all the talk, like put the ball in the basket, shooting actually. <laughs> shooting matters. Like shooting. <laughs> Go figure. We're looking at the draft and there's yeah. all these guys who can't shoot. We're going to draft them. And like, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of blown away. Like, uh, are we watching what's going on here? Like, shooting matters if you can't shoot you can't play in the playoffs like victor oladipo being hurt did not hurt miami because caleb martin can shoot tyler hero is not a great shooter he i don't think him being out like but victor i do actually think like i think it helped him so i think that's what the the other one i would say and i'm just you know i might be kind of at some point i probably need to be more flexible in this i've always just been a huge believer like 20 games into the season just let me look at where everybody is and 20 games into the season this year, the number one team in the NBA was the Boston Celtics. But what was noticeable about it was their differential was like a 5.4. If you go back to every other year, like Cleveland and Golden State, they were at 11.5 by yeah. that. They, 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 there was like Boston's differential actually, according to Clean the Glass, was a 6.9 in uh, for the season. And at the 20 game of the season, it was not, it was not that big. So um, I think there is a shrinking of the margin from the top yes. to the bottom and, the, and winning There's, is now very, this is a new world NBA, eight, five straight finals, five finals, eight franchises. Like it's very different than we've ever had. Before. No, no question. The compression in the standings, what you're talking about, David, the, the lack of a massive gap in point differential, the compression in the standings, the compression in, in point differential, if people want to resort it that way, um, is 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 highly unusual um I, I think historic in some regards and i wrote a couple different times this season about just the 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 parody um and that compression and just the chaos that it created and obviously look we had a six seven and eight seed all win in the first round for the first time in nba history or since since they went to this format back in 84 and so the the thing is about that we don't know 
how long that will last, right? We do have a nice run here since the last time the Cavs and Warriors met in the finals, or if you want to use the Warriors uh, final finals of their five in a row in 2019 as the marker, we have had a lot of turnover in who makes the finals since then. Um, and that speaks to some of the parody. The six, seven, and eight seeds all advancing this season with some respect in some respects speaks to parody i don't know and nobody within the league knows how long this will last how profound this might be um and so is it more likely now than 20 years ago that we will see another seven or eight seed actually make the conference finals or the finals maybe but i'm still going to say right now without making hard and fast predictions that i'll regret later I still don't think we're seeing this again anytime soon. Like the compression of the standings is real. The parody is real. The spread is it, like it, it is. This is what the league wanted, right? The spread of talent is more distributed. But I, all it takes, all it takes is one team being opportunistic and finding the second star or their third star, probably not a fourth star. Don't know. If they, I don't think we're going to see the, the, the warriors of Kevin Durant's uh, era again, but all, we can sit here and talk about no super teams. Super team era is over. All it takes is one team going out and doing it. And the CBA, the new CBA is going to make it harder, but it's not impossible. So before we start declaring that era over, super teams are done. They're passe. It's not going to happen. This is the new era of parody and it's lasting forever. I don't, don't get too far ahead of yourselves. All it I'm takes getting, is. I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Yeah, I, I think you're wrong. <laughs> okay. Here's why I'm getting too far. My, if it was not for the salary cap spike, where Kevin Durant was able to Oh, no, no, for years, sure. Then this would have been going on for, I think, eight or nine years. Because well, I think Oklahoma, he would have stayed in Oklahoma City or something similar and probably knocks off the Warriors at some point. And you have, then suddenly you look back and you have seven years and you have 12 franchises over 14 years. So I, I actually think there, there hasn't been a super team in a since Miami. Like that really hasn't been. Cleveland was not a super team with LeBron. That was just LeBron. There hasn't been a super team so since Miami. Some of this just depends on depends on on definitions, right? Like I covered the Shaq and Kobe Lakers; they were not a super team. Some people would call them that because of the magnitude of those two players, two top five type players on the same team. I always looked at it as the starting point of the super team era, as we know it today. This modern era was when the Celtics got Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett to go next to, to Paul Pierce. And it was a big three, a true big three, three guys who were all among the best in the NBA, the best of their positions, all, all of them uh, perennial all-star slash all NBA of, of some, uh, of some branding. So the heat were a big three, obviously LeBron Wade Bosch. When he leaves them to go back to Cleveland Kevin Love at that time is an all NBA player and is a top 20, top 25 player. They had three top 20 to top 25 players. The Warriors had three before they got Kevin Durant because Steph and Clay were perennial all-stars and Draymond Green was perennial uh, all-star, all NBA defensive player of the year candidate. Worth noting all drafted by the same team. So I think that makes, uh, but I don't I think super team. I think as somebody you acquire, I don't play Miami brought the two guys yeah. to go with Wade. That's and, what I, what I think super yeah no and and i don't and i know i differ from a lot of people on this um i don't think it's just about like the whole you know built not bought thing is just crap it's stupid it's silly it's it's juvenile frankly you build a team the best way that you can period however you get there that the warriors drafted three guys who became three of the top 15 players in the nba for a certain stretch of time versus 
drafting two, signing one, drafting two, trading for one. Who cares? Like you well, get the, the talent, thing, however you get it. Here's the only reason I think you care. Cause I, I don't think every market in the league can replicate bringing in two stars. Absolutely. Add to your one. Agreed. You can draft all three of your guys. You well, can do what, what Denver's done can be replicated. Boston was not. And you added Aaron Gordon. Right. Boston was not a destination until they were, David. Like, in fact, Boston was never a destination. In fact, Kevin Garnett wasn't even sure he wanted to go there when they were trading for him. So, um, and then Al Horford and Gordon Hayward became their biggest free agent signings of the last however many years, right? So, um, it, it's it's not about how you build it. A super team to me, again, you know, I, I shouldn't be judgmental about this. Everyone's got their own definitions. This is mine. Um, my definition is you have at least three superstars. So that's three, the top, top 15, top 20, top 25, wherever the cutoff is, but top three really elite players. And however, however you got them, you got them. So we had the Celtics who then handed off essentially to the LeBron heat, who then handed off to the LeBron Cavs and the warriors. That was the super team era was, was basically those teams. And then a bunch of people who tried and failed to do the same, right? The Knicks tried it with, uh, Carmelo Amari and Tyson Chandler, a big three of, of sorts, right? The Clippers kind of had it when DeAndre Jordan was, remember when DeAndre Jordan made all NBA and you had DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, and that was kind of a super team. So there was, everybody either had it or was trying to get it, manufacturing it however they could. And now we're in a time where it's getting harder and harder to do that because of the way the CBA goes. Um, we cannot, I'm sorry, David, retroactively take away the cap spike. It did happen. And Kevin Durant did go there. Um, it counts. It all counts. They went from three superstars to four. Um, and now it's harder and now it's going to be more rare, but it's not impossible. And listen to your point, maybe somebody just drafts as well as the Warriors did for that span when they got Steph Clay Draymond and the next super team will be the homegrown one that a lot of people uh, think is somehow more virtuous um or somebody daryl Morey, um somebody will go and acquire somebody again also by the way we had a couple of recent um attempts that that again failed but they did try right the lakers tried to do it again adding russ to lebron and anthony davis the the nets in my backyard tried it getting hardened to go with Kyrie and kevin durant and listen I don't want to go too far out of my way to make any excuses for any of the people involved in this, including the players, including the front office. But if not for the pandemic, if not for Kyrie Irving being anti-vax, if not for James Harden, then getting, you know, irritated with Kyrie and then asking out, like, who knows what that team could have done in the very brief time that those three played together, they were pretty freaking good. Um, and then injuries happened in, in their first playoff run. Then other stuff happens. Next thing you know, James Harden's asking out, but like teams have still, tried to do this within the last couple of years so i don't think it's over i just think it's a lot harder now than it once was but someone you know the, the second somebody gets a chance to create the quote-unquote super team whether by draft trade signing all three they're gonna do it it i like it's because that's the name of the game get the best talent and if you've got great talent keep getting more of it all right final thing we'll be short with this i just think it's fun 2028 Maybe 2029. What's the West? Is Luca number one? Is Victor number one? Is Sacramento imploded by then? Have Steve Ballmer bought another team? <laughs> Has Zion Williamson got healthy and carried the Pelicans to the top? Oh, boy. Um, all right. So 
I, I can't see in the future, but I can see into the past. I have this amazing skill to look into the past. Um, in 2018, so five years ago, the top of the West in order was the Houston Rockets, the Golden State Warriors, the Portland Trailblazers, Oklahoma, Utah, New Orleans. Or So that was the top six in order. Houston, Golden State, Portland, Oklahoma, Utah, New Orleans. Um, most of that has not held. So that's how quickly things change. Five years is, is a lifetime in the NBA. Um, as I look out over the next five, I look at some of the teams that I consider to be still really potent right now that are all going to be trending downward. The Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Warriors, all four of those teams have, you know, Hall of Fame talent on them right now. And because of LeBron's age and because of Kawhi and Paul George's age and miles, because of Kevin Durant, because of Steph Curry and Clay and those guys, like those four teams are going to be trending downward over the next one to three years, probably. The Nuggets, the Grizzlies and Kings should all endure, right? Three teams that were at the top of the standings this season. Oklahoma's rising. The Spurs are going to be rising on, on the back of Victor Wembanyama. The Rockets, maybe. The Mavericks, it depends on whether they can fix things around Luka or Luka's going to go somewhere else and we won't even be talking about the Dallas Mavericks for another 20 years. Um, and the Pelicans, maybe. So there's like, if I'm looking out five years from now and with a thousand caveats on top of this because of the fact that things change so quickly in this league. We used to think of the NBA in seven to 10 year cycles. You now think in three to five year cycles. GMs will tell you this. So five years is a long time to try to be predicting out. But Denver, Memphis, Sacramento should be around. Oklahoma and San Antonio should be in that mix as well. I don't know in what order, but there's th that might be your top five. And, the, the, and maybe the Pelicans are in there too. I, like I say, I don't know what to do with, I don't think, the, I don't honestly think the Rockets are on the trajectory. And I don't know what to do with Luka and the Mavericks because right now it feels like they are further than they've been in, in years during, during his time there. Um, they have a lot to figure out. He's Howard Beck. He's locked on NBA playoff and off season expert. Thank you very much. A pleasure to have you on Locked on Jazz. Thanks very much. Thank you, David.